All right. Uh, Revelation 8. Remember we said a couple weeks ago, we start getting into chapter 6 and 7. We start getting into the what can be very confusing minutiae. But we have to remember the overall picture that the Jesus ultimately is giving to John to give to the church. That Jesus is enthroned. He's enthroned over it all. He reigns. I love how we just sang that because he reigns. He reigns. Now, I, I am a very analytical person. I like my ducks in a row. And I like to figure out cause and effect that way. Like, let's line things up. What, what here contributed and brought about this? Chapter 8 messes with me completely. So just so we know entering it, I, this, this makes my brain swell. And I have to take breaks and I have to think about things. There were a lot of laps in here this week as I'm thinking, God, what, what does this mean? How does this fit together? Because my ducks weren't getting in a row. Uh, I actually found that my ducks were swimming in a circle. That's what they were doing. Uh, I like linear sequences, but we have in this chapter something I think that, that makes sense of what God is doing uh, alongside of other things that he's doing in bringing about, ultimately, Jesus' return for his church. That's where this is going. And every day that God does not come back, every day that Jesus delays, is another day that he's saving souls to gather to his church, to one day come back for that church. So in a way, I am grateful that the Lord has delayed, so more will be saved. And the other part is, Lord, please come back. Ready for no pain, no suffering, no tears. But in in looking at this chapter, uh, we, we are introduced to trumpets. We have the seventh seal, and now we have trumpets, and those trumpets will be in seven. And then in chapter 16, we discover bowls, and the bowls are also in sevens. And if you look at them, just have this in your notes for you, uh, there's a group of, each group of seven, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, follows a similar pattern, where the first four are concurrent effects on the earth of God's judgment throughout time. It's what God is doing, and it's, remember that we looked at the first uh, four seals, and those were the four horsemen. It's kind of, it's rolling through history, and it's, it's, every generation, I believe, experiences the cycle that's being demonstrated, or described, rather, uh, in the first four seals. But we find that the first four trumpets have a similar effect, as will the bowls. So, uh, you have the first four, then there's, there's the fifth and sixth components, that talk about a heavenly effect of God's judgment that he's uh, exacting on rebellious sinners. Now remember, his judgment that's being poured out, revealed through the seals, now announced with the trumpets and then poured with the bowls, is his desire, because all of them have a limited scope. We'll read the trumpets have a limited scope as well. God is, he's prejudging in an effort in his mercy to save people from his ultimate judgment. And we are caught up in that in some ways, but we're also rescued it, uh, rescued from it in others. 
But in, in the fifth and sixth components of the patterns, there's a heavenly effect of God's judgment. And then seventh, we see that number represents completion. It's a completedness of God's work. And when we consider the, these pattern judgments and how they have a limited scope and effect, we can gather that these are occurring simultaneously in God's advancement of his kingdom. So I think to help, and I mentioned Matriska nesting dolls last week. Uh, my daughter Beth painted this last night, and I said, I think I'm the only pastor that has a Matriska doll of God's judgment in Revelation. And she said, are you sure you're the only one? No, but I'm really certain, almost really certain. All right. Here, this, is, this is for us to consider in what's going on. This would be uh, the scroll with the seven seals that we've talked about. Now, rather than something uh, coming after this, like linear sequence, we want a linear sequence, they're happening all at the same time. So when we take this off, sorry if that made anybody's teeth hurt. Uh, inside, we have, we have from the scrolls, we have now seven angels blowing seven trumpets of warning. Now we're going to see that I don't, think, I don't think these seven trumpets are contained in the seventh seal. I think the seals are done, and there's a new picture, a new image of what God is doing in bringing everything to the consummation of Jesus coming back for his church. Now within, because these are happening all at the same time, it's nested inside of there. So the first four horsemen are happening now as the first four trumpets are being sounded. Now, from this, we have the bowls that are poured out. So we have all of these happening at the same time together, but they're distinct from one another. And what we see happening is that each of can you see these very nicely? They're going to be a distraction for you. They're cool, huh? Yeah. Beth did a great job. When, when, we, when these are... A, a, there's also, a, there's, this is the only sequence that's happening. All of these are happening at the same time, ultimately going after the consummation of Jesus coming back for his church. But they're increasing in their intensity. So the smallness doesn't mean, oh, no, it means more concentrated. Because when we get to the bowls in Romans, Romans, Revelation 16, nobody escapes. Limited effect with the seals, limited effect with the trumpets, everybody who is not saved suffers the wrath of God. So they're increasing in their intensities. Is that helpful? I'm going to leave them displayed right here for you. Make them symmetrical so nobody's, because I like ducks in a row. All right, now with that insight, let's read the chapter. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, the prayers, with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. And the angel took the censer and filled it, with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. 
Now seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first blew The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The angel, second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining. And likewise, a third of the night. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Holy Spirit, help us understand that this is this these terrifying images are a help to us to understand you. Give us that illumination, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we consider these trumpets, and then next chapter we go into five, the fifth and sixth trumpets, and then again there's a break, and then you have the seventh trumpet. But what, what the biggest connection for us to consider is that God's activity of advancing his kingdom by pouring out his judgment, because that's part of advancing his kingdom, is in response to the prayers of his people. God is hallowing his great name. Just like Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And when we pray for God to hallow his name, we're asking him to set it apart. Make sure your name is set apart than any other name. And he does this in magnificent ways and also terrifying ways. So our our thought for us to remember through this, as God is on his throne, he vindicates his holy name by answering the cries of his redeemed. Verse 1, we see there is silence in heaven. The seventh seal is open and heaven, which is raucous with worship, is silent. What could silence heaven? Now it's a half an hour, so that would be a limited scope of time. I don't think. 30 minutes, ding, okay, now you can talk again. No, this is figurative, but there is a a certain amount of time when heaven is silent. From, From seeing the lamb that was slain on the throne and worship and crowns being thrown at his feet... Silence. What could silence it? I think the understanding and the knowledge and the sight of the effect of the wrath of God himself. I think that's the only thing that silences heaven. Because when we truly consider God's wrath, we're quieted, huh? We're silenced. It's when, when we see tragedy, we're silenced by it. That's a, that's a foretaste of what that means. 
the, the, the school shooting this past week in Uvalde, Texas. We're, we're quieted by that. I'm looking at pictures of children, their faces, smiling faces. We're, we're quieted by that. Because that, that tragedy, that evil, it, it, it affects us, it quiets us. Now, ultimately, now I don't, don't make misconnections. That was not a sign of God's judgment. It's just the evil that's in the world continues to perpetuate. And there would be a, I'm sure people have already said, if they haven't said it, if God was real, he would have been there and he would have stopped it. I don't know why God doesn't stop more of that. I don't know. I wish he would. I wish he would protect children from being shot. I really do. But what I do know is that only by the grace of God, it doesn't happen more. Because we are living in a culture that continues to point us to ourselves for the answer of how to live. And every time we do that, every time children are told to look inside, they find rebellion against God. And they're left in, in dark places. So we feel and experience a darkness because evil is there. And, and all of this stuff that is continuing to perpetuate and, and feels like it's gaining steam as we look toward Jesus' return, in a way it is gaining steam. But God in his grace really does protect us from everybody doing that. Now, different if we need to have more conversation, I'm please, please, let's, I invite more conversation about that. But I wanted to give that perspective because as we are, as we're living through life, uh, the people of God need to be quick to listen, quick to feel what others are going through. Because we are the ones that God wants others to be pointed to, to learn how to live the light of salvation. So others may find it as well. Now, like I said earlier, I don't, I don't think the seventh seal contains the trumpets. I think the silence is the seventh seal. Because John, I think, sees a new vision in verse 2. Then I saw the heavens. And we have to remember that when the Apostle John wrote this uh, account, he didn't have chapters and verses that he was giving. That came centuries later when somebody said, let's just order this in a better way. None of the Bible as it was written had chapter uh, numbers and verse numbers. That's all back, that's centuries later to help us understand where things are. Very grateful for it. But when John's writing this, he's not, okay, seventh seal, let's do a chapter indication right here. Somebody just thought that was useful and put it there. A team of people were trying to figure that out back then. But if the patterns of the concurrent perspectives on God's judgment on sinners are, are there, then this, the seventh seal ends with silence. So think about what this silence could be. Could, could it be toward those who are condemned forever in their sin? God is silent, so heaven is silent. Could it be heaven's response in grief and sadness to see sinners condemned to an eternal death apart from God, apart from his love, apart from his gracious presence for all eternity? What would make heaven silent? God's condemnation. Remember, the worship that happens is, is, is the response of being saved from his condemnation. And so when we see that condemnation, silence. Remember, Jesus felt that silence. 
on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt that silence. Now, sometimes we feel like God is silent, don't we? And sometimes he's not answering us maybe as quickly or as as uh, boldly or loudly as we want him to. God, just write it in the sky. He might not do that. But listen, he will never turn his silence on us for all eternity because he turned his silence on Jesus. So we are preserved and we are unified with him and, and redeemed and now reconciled with him. So then as the seal is ended, we pick up another image of what God is doing with these trumpets. When when God hears his people and responds to his people, we're told seven angels have seven trumpets. These are the angels that are around the throne of God and they're messengers for the coming activity that he wants them to do. And they're a warning to the earth of God's holiness. Trumpets in the scriptures were used to warn. In Exodus 19 and 20, God at Mount Sinai, there were trumpet blasts. And those trumpet blasts alerted all of Israel. God is here and God is serious in his holiness, so be careful. It was a warning to them. On, uh, in in Leviticus, excuse me, Leviticus 25, in the Day of Atonement, there was a long trumpet blast to let, the, let all of the nation of Israel know that the high priest was going into the Holy of Holies that one day of year on the... Uh, the day of atonement, to atone for the sins of the people with one sacrifice, pointing to what Jesus would do for his church. But there was a long trumpet blast of warning. God is holy, and he is to be taken seriously. Joshua 6. We know the battle of Jericho. They walk around. On On the last day, they blew the trumpets and shouted, and a great city fell. After these trumpets will sound, the great city of Babylon in Revelation 11 we see falls. Now, I think that's a, it's a, a spiritual Babylon. I think we live in that Babylon, in the seduction of that Babylon. Because we look over the scope of the earth, uh, persecution and seduction, deception, two big old tricks that the devil uses. And that, I think the Babylon... Uh, and the woman who rides the beast is part of that seduction. I think that's what plagues the United States is the seduction, not so much the persecution where our brothers and sisters around the world face most of the persecution. You talk to uh, missionaries oftentimes when they come back to the United States on furlough, they actually miss their homeland in a third world country perhaps because they don't have to look at all the billboards we have to deal with. They don't have to see all the images on TV that we deal with, but they're living life the threat of persecution. We see also the trumpets that are to be sounded in Ezekiel 33 of Israel's watchmen. God sets the watchmen on the wall and when they see war coming, they're supposed to blow that trumpet. And when they blow that trumpet, it warns the people. God is about to announce his judgment on the earth dwellers. We see that in verse 13. Those who dwell on the earth to set himself apart from all they know. And he's going to do it in response to his people, thereby vindicating their holiness and their faith in him because they bear his name. God is vindicating his name, his hallowed name, and he's doing that by gathering his people together and and through the vindication of their faith, God standing in front of a world, a, a universe 
that says that God is wrong, God is an idiot, God is looking at everybody with faith and saying, they got it right. They're the ones that bear my name. And we have it on our foreheads. God is vindicating his name, thereby vindicating his people because we bear his name. And then we see this golden censer that the angel has with much incense. We know the incense is what? The prayers of the saints. I love the word much. This is a lot of prayers. A lot of prayers of the saints are going before the throne of God. And it's so cool when you look at the book of Leviticus when when, uh, God gave Moses the instructions on how to do the tabernacle and then carried over into the temple that Solomon built. There was an altar of incense that was right before the curtain into the Holy of Holies. So the last altar there, the last uh, signature that God put there of understanding that the, remember the curtain is because we are, we are sinful. God is holy. There's a curtain there. When Jesus dies, uh, the curtain is torn in two. Now we have access into his presence, into God's presence without fear of condemnation or death because we are trusting Christ has paid the sacrifice for us. But that altar of incense was to always be kept burning. And it it was always to represent the prayers of God's people. Because it's the, see, prayer is the experience of God's presence on this earth. That's what prayer is. And when we give our petitions, we're praying God's heart back to him. So when we experience his presence, we find ourselves just praying his heart right back to him. Moses does that. God, show me your glory. And then in, in Numbers 14, he prays God and God shows, here's who I am. Gives all these characteristics. Moses reminds God of those characteristics. It's not because God forgets. It's because God wants his people to understand him. Those prayers, the incense was to be a fragrant aroma before his throne. That's what it was described. So our prayers smell great to God. And he always wants prayers that smell great for him. He wants those, and he instructed his people to do it. So when we pray for his glory to be seen, we are praying for his name to be vindicated. We pray for his name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to be, uh, that is in heaven, to be established on the earth. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for what God wants. And he hears all of our prayers. Even our prayers of anguish and despair when we feel like he's being silent toward us. Exodus 3, remember when God comes to Moses and he tells Moses this, the cry of my people has come before me. What was their cry? They're in slavery, anguish, hurt, suffering. Those cries rise to him. God has heard the cries of his martyrs. Remember who are under the temple from chapter six, the the cries of the martyrs. How long, God, how long will you wait to vindicate the blood that has been shed? God says, I will respond. And he responds with a measured vengeance. Remember, vengeance is his. It's not ours. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But what is this measured vengeance? Because it doesn't have complete effect yet. The bowls have complete effect. The trumpet's not. We see that the the angel then takes fire from the throne and throws it on the earth. The fire that that has redeemed the people of God the fire of God's wrath being satisfied, consuming Jesus, 
now is, is being thrown to the earth. So it's the same fire of God's judgment. Jesus took it for us. But this angel now comes and says, I'm going to throw it on the earth. And the fire comes from God's presence. The thunder, rumblings, lightning, earthquake. That all happened on Mount Sinai too. It's signifying this comes from God's presence. And then we see that these trumpets are God's warning to a rebellious world. The effects on the earth when the trumpets are blown resemble, they're very similar to the ten plagues that God released on Egypt. God used those plagues to vindicate his name to the Egyptians by each one of those plagues going toe-to-toe with one of the Egyptian gods and God proving himself more powerful. So God used the ten plagues to destroy idolatry. He's using the trumpets to destroy idolatry as well. God vindicated his holy name. He vindicated his holy people who bore his name by defeating the Egyptian gods and delivering them from the power, delivering them in power to his power. Now, when we connect the trumpets and their effects, which kind of resemble the plagues, God is declaring his holy name while delivering his people. That's the activity that he's doing. He's declaring himself as set apart all the while delivering us. Delivering us from what? He's delivered us from death by our faith in him, our justification. He's delivering us from ourselves by transforming us in sanctification so we become more and more like Jesus every day. He's delivering us. Now these effects... The hail and fire mixed with blood, the burning mountain thrown into the sea. I think they have a dual purpose. I think there's a figurative component, but I think they're all natural components, and the natural shows what's happening in the spirit. Not, not necessarily one for one, but we, when things happen naturally, we remember, oh, there is something happening in the spirit realm. So the trumpet, the first trumpet, Hail and fire mixed with blood. This is burning earth, scorched earth. Like think forest fires. Hmm. Those are, are foreshadowing. Those help us understand what's going on in the spirit realm. But I think the first trumpet deals mainly with resources. Resources are affected. And people can't live life the same way. And, and it's, it's the grace of God. It's not the, it's not the God is not being, uh, he's not being egotistical. He's not, he's not toying with people by, by allowing suffering. He's allowing the suffering to open our eyes because you know, when you suffer, you really stop looking at yourself and you start looking to God. It might be, God, why are you doing this? What's going on? Just help me. But we're going to God. And God in his wisdom, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And he used, look, all of us would say, let's eject out of suffering. Then everybody would be saved. God doesn't do that. Because I think when we suffer, we recognize the suffering that Jesus went through for us. And when we do that, listen, we understand God's love for us. We would never know how much God loved us if he didn't die for us. We would never know. Because death is the ultimate love. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And I have called you friends, Jesus said. So I think there's resources. God, God he, things 
are affecting, resources are affected. Oh, the, the supply chain stuff, all of that. You start thinking about this, like, oh, wait, 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 what's going on? Is something happening in the spirit? God's trying to get the attention of a rebellious world and make sure, remember, make sure he has the attention of his saints so we can pray for his kingdom to be advanced. We can recognize the second trumpet is blown, a burning mountain thrown into the sea. Where it affects the water, it also affects the ships. So what is the second trumpet affecting? Commerce. The, the, the buying and selling of goods that still happens largely over the seawaters. The third trumpet then is blown and this star named Wormwood comes and poisons the water supply. I was thinking of a, a movie called Sahara with this when they, um, they're looking for treasure in Africa, but they discover that this toxic chemical is being poured into a well that's, that a, a, a village is drinking. And they, all these people are dying and they don't know. That's like, because the world knows something is going on with drinking water. They feel it. So we can recognize those are foretastes of, of God. God's on the move and he's advancing his kingdom. In Jeremiah 9, 15, would say that God, he poured a judgment on his own people who were rebellious toward him by poisoning their water. Now again, this is not God being vindictive. He's getting our attention and he's getting the attention of the world, but he's also letting them know, I take sin and holiness seriously. And we all should too. So the, the resources have been affected with the first trumpet. The commerce has been affected with the second. Now consumables are being affected with the third. And then the fourth trumpet, the sun, moons, lights affected, made dark. The dependability of our daily lives is now affected. With a darkening understanding. See, natural wisdom, God sometimes leaves. He lets natural wisdom take its course so we can see how futile it is because it's not his wisdom. Now, if the seals, the seals can be seen as the perspective of the church looking upon the, the advancement of God's kingdom toward the consummation of Jesus coming back for his church. The trumpets, we can see our, our perspective from the earth, from unbelievers, of what the earth feels, of what the earth sees. Now look, when with these trumpets that are being blown, a trumpet can, with that warning, remember what happened with Pharaoh, ten times. His, his heart was never softened. It just gave, it grew harder and harder. And, and then even with his, his, all right, just tell God to stop and I'll let your people go. He was lying about that. His heart was still hard. He was just trying to figure out a negotiation because he felt himself a God and there was with, but the 10th plague told him he's not a God and his son wasn't a God. That's why he died. He softens, but what happened to Pharaoh? Hardens his heart again, chases after him. What did we just do? We lost our workforce. Let's go after him. And then God judges them in the sea. So we look these trumpets that are sounding, they don't guarantee repentance. And that should quiet us. Because people will still look to respond to these things with a hard heart. That's what we see happening all over the world. You know what hard hearts do? They blame everybody else. That's what hard hearts do. 
When we're told, look inside yourself to discover who you are, be that person. If that person is a bad person, oh, that's got to be somebody else's fault. Got to be, got to be somebody else's fault. No, we, we are broken and we are sinful apart from Christ. And our thoughts are on evil, Genesis tells us, from the days of our youth. That's why we need a redeemer. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need Jesus. And is it advancing kingdom? But for us to be part of that, we have to be the humble ones. We have to know where to go, not respond with hardness of heart, but respond with a humble, soft, contrite heart. The, the earth wants to solve all the problems without looking to or honoring God. We, we need the people that look to solve the problems with God because he gave us the solution. And then we see this eagle flying overhead giving notice. Three woes are announced in in Scripture, anything that's three times is uh-oh. Even if it's holy, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Woe means this, I'm dead. Remember when Isaiah saw Jesus? He sees the Lord high and exalted. I believe he saw the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus, before he came to the earth. Woe is me because I'm unclean. And I live among a people whose lips are unclean. What's he describing? That's one woe. Uh-oh, I'm dead. Woe, woe, woe to you who are hard in your hearts, who are blaming everything else and not understanding your own brokenness and, and sinful rebellion and antagonism toward the God of glory who is loving and gracious and kind and benevolent who you want to turn into an evil God in order to justify, let's blame God. He's evil, he's absent, he's silent. Now we as the believers know, no, he's not that. And this eagle comes announcing, whoa, pay attention. Now the eagle, it's representing something that's high. It's representing a different perspective. God, God's giving a perspective, hey, there's an aerial view going on. Something is getting ready to get really bad. That's what the eagle is saying. And for us to understand the future for us, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So what do we do? We got to remember who's on the throne. We got to remember Jesus who is on the throne and God is in complete control. And where we don't understand, we ask God, God, I just, I don't understand. Would you please give me understanding? If he chooses not to grant that understanding, we choose simply to trust him. And we can be honest with a, a, a sinful world when they ask us, you're God. Sometimes we say, I don't know. That's a confusing scripture to me too. I don't know. I wish it had been different. Yes, yes. And that realism I think can be a, a way for the light of the gospel to make inroads into our conversations and our relationships. But church, this is what it means for us down to the nitty gritty. Pray like it matters. Because when we pray, it matters. I love praying and I don't, 
I just, I, I, I don't know how to take people's compliments sometimes when I, I pray for specific things. If it's been, I've had the opportunity to pray in public spheres through the years around Covington and the North Shore. And people are like, man, that was just so good. It's like, ah. And it's not, I, maybe, maybe because I'm a pastor, I don't know. But I think I was praying better than I was preaching way earlier in life because of this. Even as a teenager, I recognized, a college student, I recognized, I have an audience with God when I pray. And I remember, remember being in a college ministry at LSU, and, and of course there was pride mixed in. I wanted to pray this ultimate prayer that like everybody would not pray anymore because... Oh, we just have to end on Jeff's prayer because it was so good. And God had to humble me, and he did it. It hurt, but I'm so grateful. Because this is what he did. He took my attention off of people around me and put it on him. And I said, oh, I have an audience with God. The same God who said, let there be light. And it was there. And when we pray... We have that God saying, this smells great. Come on, bring it, bring it. I can't wait, I can't wait. Doesn't doesn't that image change? Like from the, the rote prayers that we pray and the same phrases we utter over and over and over again. No, let's think about prayer. Why? Not to impress others because God is listening. And he says, come to me. I love it. I'm smelling it, and I will act. Let's pray like it matters, amen? Let's pray like it matters. So that means this. In your personal time, don't just wait to find time to pray. Make time to pray. Make time to sit before the Lord. Start with five minutes. Don't be like, all right, three hours. Come on. If you're not into that discipline yet, you got to start with five minutes because watch your mind will go everywhere through your whole life in that five minutes. And you've got to discipline your mind. But what is the goal? I want, to, I want to get to the point where I'm listening to the Lord. Lord, I'm listening. You get, all, get all your requests out. Just get them out. Get all the, the petitions out. 30 seconds in. All of my petitions are out. What do I do now? Sit and I wait. Say, God, just remind me of your love. Remind me of your presence. I want to feel it. And you watch how it will rejuvenate your, your soul, your life. And look, when the five minutes, you'll find, comes ten real fast because you didn't even know. And look, I have, to, I have to walk around when I pray. Because if I sit down, I'm seeing every book in my office that's out of place. I'm seeing, if I'm home, I'm seeing everything that's dirty all of a sudden. It's like, what? And then I'm reminded of all the things that Kathy's asked me to do that I haven't gotten to yet. I need to walk. And look, I have to walk the same pattern so I don't get distracted by the same things that I'm seeing. So I'll walk my neighborhood first couple times. It's like, wow, look at that house. Oh, look at that tree. Hmm, it's a cool color. Now you walk the same pattern. When I walk the same pattern, I recognize I'm not distracted, but it's the same tree, same house. Okay, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. I want to hear you. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would please empower us in our prayers. 
because we recognize that we're praying your power back to you. So God, those, those dormant requests that we don't ask for anymore because we're just tired of not, nothing ever happening, God, reinvigorate our faith to pray for those, those same things that we've given up on. And God, would you please grant us the understanding of your will and, and your desire for your glory that helps us pray that back to you. Please, please God, help us to pray. Help us to pray. Because we want to see your kingdom come because that's the best thing. Your name hallowed and, and your kingdom coming is the answer to all of our requests. So we pray we would Pray under that banner. But, oh, may we just focus on you and recognize you. Thank you, Jesus. You make all this possible. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, as we, as we remind ourselves of the commission, think about this. Pray the commission. Start that. Pray the Psalms. Just pray through them. Pray. We, we accomplish, part of our accomplishing the Great Commission is in prayer. So our going, go to your prayer closet. Go pray. Let's be reminded of our commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless you.